You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Of this hour, open lines open lines. Ask me anything. And then hour two, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator extraordinaire who joins us every month, will be here to discuss angels and angelic communication. She has a book called Calling Upon Angels and How Angels Can Help Us in Everyday Life. And of course, as we head into the Christmas season, what better time than to discuss angels? Always been fascinated by angels. Uh, A quick programming note, no live stream tonight. No live stream on our YouTube channel. Uh, However, uh, this radio transmission will be uploaded to the YouTube channel in the next few days. Incidentally, the YouTube channel has been rebranded and renamed It's now called Strange Planet. And in addition to this weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, which you'll find on the YouTube channel, and occasionally we live stream as well, you'll also find on the YouTube channel episodes of my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. We're going to start posting those on the YouTube channel. And eventually... In the not-too-distant future, we'll start posting my other podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. So there'll be plenty of content going up on the YouTube channel, again, now called Strange Planet. And incidentally, we now have over 13,000 subscribers. So let's see. Let's see how quickly we can get, into, we can get to 15,000 subs. Let's try for 15,000, shall we? Can you help me? Uh, We will resume live streaming The Conspiracy Show on YouTube in January 2019. But as I say, we will post the audio from The Conspiracy Show uh, on the YouTube channel. When we don't live stream, we post the audio a few days later. All right. So, open lines, let me give you the phone numbers because those I find are always kind of handy when you're doing a call-in show. And if you'd like to call in and ask me anything, in the GTA, 416-360-0740. Again, in the greater Toronto area, call me at 
360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Again, from just about anywhere, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Uh, last week, I asked for people to um, let me know which affiliate station they listen to us on. If you listen to the program on one of our nearly 40 affiliate stations across North America, I asked you to send me an email, which incidentally is richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Richardserrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, 1 at gmail.com. Here are, here are a couple. Uh, Christine W. listens to The Conspiracy Show on WRNN in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Thanks, Christine. And uh, here's a gentleman who listens on the Zoomer app in Ocala, Florida. Cap Smoot. I love that name. Cap? Perhaps that's short for Captain? Smoot. Thank you. Uh, thank you all. And again, if you'd like to send me an email, please do so at richardserrett one at gmail.com and tell me where and how you listen. All right, so much to talk about this hour, and so much has happened since we last spoke. Of course, last week we had our remote viewing experiment. How did you do? Would love to hear from you. How did you do? Incidentally, we tweeted that picture at Richard Serrett. We tweeted the picture of the, uh, the hidden object that uh, Douglas Cottrell had on his desk down in London, Ontario, and uh, several of you uh, tweeted your uh, results, your remote viewing experiment results, and some of you were very, very close. Um, Of course, we also have the yellow vest protesters that are tearing Paris apart, and it's spreading now uh, across France. President Emmanuel Macron has announced that he will speak to the French people This after four weeks of protests that have really shaken up that country. Unrest uh, sparked by his proposed fuel tax hikes, uh, which he has now said will not go in in place. Uh, But they've morphed really into just a general anti-government revolt. And French authorities said today they have now arrested more than 1,700 people amid these nationwide yellow-vest anti-government protests. Uh, The day before, that caused widespread damage, particularly in the capital of Paris. The Interior Ministry said 1,220 of those arrested had been retained in custody. And Interior Minister uh, Christophe Castanet said 135 people were injured in the Paris protests after demonstrators clashed with tear-gas-wielding police. That's right, they are now using tear gas. Uh, And uh, Castanet uh, estimated the number of protesters at 10,000 in Paris. But get this, now 125,000 across the country. And local media are putting the number of injured higher at 264, including 39 security personnel. And some 89,000 police have been deployed. So this yellow vest movement, named for the security jackets, donned by the protesters, which began a month ago, again as protests over a proposed uh, tax on fuel, or raising the taxes on fuel. But it has, has really, it's developed into 
an expression of general anger at high living costs and particular discontent with President Emmanuel Macron, seen by some as elitist, I would say now seen by most. And uh, the government's decision last week to abandon the fuel tax uh, really has done little uh, to dampen the ire of protesters, and they continue to call for Macron's resignation, along with a, uh, a motley assortment of other demands. So what do you think? Are these protests a tipping point? I believe this is about far more than this fuel tax. I believe this is a repudiation of the globalist ideology. The, pre- the, the, the French people are, as you, you are no doubt very familiar, deeply patriotic, and uh, nationalism is just, it's in their blood. Yes, I'll use that word, nationalism. It's not a bad word, quite the contrary. The left and the media are really, are, they're trying to co-opt the word and claim it's code for white supremacy. Of course, we repudiate white supremacy. But for my part, I refuse to let the left and the media co-opt that word. Nationalism, for me, is a belief in the nation-state and pride in one's country. It is the antithesis of globalism, which promotes open borders, mass migration, the erosion of national sovereignty, full stop. And the people in France have had enough of Macron and globalism. I'm not sure where these protests will lead in the short term. Macron is uh, below 18% in the polls. That's getting down into Nancy Pelosi territory. And I I suspect before too long, if these protests do not abate, and I don't see any sign that they will, I, I suspect Macron will either jump or be pushed. To resign, that is. This does have the potential to spread. In fact, it already has, not only to other parts of France, as I say, but uh, also now Belgium and the Netherlands. Hundreds of yellow-vested protesters are calling for the resignation of Belgium's prime minister. And they've marched on the European quarter of Brussels yesterday as the, uh, the movement that started in France made its mark, as I say, in Belgium and the Netherlands. And police are using pepper spray. And they've scuffled with a small group of protesters who tried to break through the barricades, blocking access to the European Parliament and the European Union's other main institutions. So, we all need to keep our eyes on the the yellow vests. And we'll see what's happening with uh, Italy, for example. By contrast, the populist Giuseppe Conte and uh, his Deputy Prime Minister Salvini taking a very firm stand against illegal immigration oftentimes thumbing their nose at the EU, and millions, again, by contrast, look what's happening in France with the protests, the anger, and now we have millions of Italians pouring into the streets in Rome in celebration. So I would say what we are witnessing is that Macron and the globalists are in retreat and in decline, and the populists, there's another word the media and the left would like to co-opt, populism. They use it in the pejorative. I use it as in the opposite of the elites. You're either an elite or you're a populist. And the populists are beginning to rise. To me, as I say, it's the opposite of the elites. 
populism can be a positive force, and the people in Europe are tired of the elites, faceless, nameless, entitled, unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, dictating monetary policy, dictating domestic and foreign policy, and the people of Italy and Poland and Hungary and elsewhere. And now it would seem France are saying, enough. We want our country back. So we can delve into that. But as I say, it's ask me anything. Getting a lot of emails a couple of weeks ago, we talked with Michael Sala about this online anonymous uh, phenomenon known as QAnon. We'll get into that a little bit more later if you'd like. But if you'd like to uh, talk about Q, who you think it might be, whether it's legitimate or a hoax. So much to discuss. All right. 416-360-0740. Toll free. 1-866-740-4740. Ask me anything this hour. Next hour, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Calling upon angels. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Hey, welcome back. And just a reminder... Uh, next week on the program, I shouldn't say reminder, you haven't heard this before, <laughs> a programming note. Let's file this under a programming note. Jim Elvidge uh, will be on for the full two hours and we'll be talking about digital consciousness. Uh, Jim has just come out with a, a new book on digital consciousness. Previously, he was on the program several years ago uh, talking about the, the possibility that really, this is an idea that has been embraced by theoretical physicists and, and, uh, and others. This is not his unique sort of philosophy or idea, but he's sort of built upon it and written about it brilliantly. The idea that we are living in a computer simulation, just like in the movie The Matrix, or a series of movies, The Matrix. So Jim Elvidge will be here and will further uh, explore digital consciousness. All right, let's say hi to uh, Michael in Newmarket. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, uh, hello, Richard, or good evening, whatever. I want to talk about the Antichrist. A couple weeks ago, on uh, George Norrie, Coast to Coast, they had two of these people, I think they were from Australia, talking about Maitreya, and... uh, what they assert is they were kind of hard to understand at times, actually. But uh, all that Maitreya is at least a thousand years old. He first appeared on the scene back in 77 in London, England. Yes, yes. And, and that, uh, well, George Norrie asked him, asked him, what is the Antichrist? And he said, 
I don't particularly know what you're talking about other than that uh, we must combat an evil negative power or something like that. Right. Just so people understand, uh, Michael, that uh, many, many years uh, we used to... um receive those of us in 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 um, producers roles or on in hosting and talk radio would we we would receive messages from a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Cream uh who was sort of the official spokesperson for this mysterious character by the name of Maitreya and uh, Benjamin Cream was kind of the think of him as kind of a the forerunner uh sort of I don't want to don't make too much of this analogy, but think of like uh, uh, John the Baptist, as John the Baptist was to Jesus Christ. Benjamin Cream sort of saw himself as that to the Maitreya, who was sort of is sort of supposed to be this messianic uh, figure, uh, as you say, who um, who first emerged in uh, in London, England, in the uh, the late seventies, and he is supposed to sort of emerge on the world stage. Some say through the auspices of um, some agency at the United Nations. Um, and he would be sort of the next Messiah, which, of course, uh, has <laughs> many people speculating that anyone who comes and proclaims himself to be the next Messiah must be, uh, by definition, the Antichrist. So this r- debate has raged for decades now. Is the Maitreya, when, you know, when will he emerge? Who is he? Uh, and uh, is he, in fact, the Messiah or... Is he the Antichrist? So, well, you know, um, uh, these two people uh, ass- asserted, I guess, that uh, we're ready for this person and that we'll make the big leap in consciousness, it sounds like they were saying. Right, right. Benjamin Cream has since passed on he, uh, a couple of years ago, I think. And so I guess these are the, the new spokespeople that are, are pushing the Maitreya. But listen, I've been in talk radio for, uh, let's see, 26, 27 years. And I remember back in the early 90s uh, hearing from Benjamin Cream and saying the Maitreya is about to you know, make his, his, he's going to emerge on the world stage. We keep hearing about it and hearing about it, and it never happens. I'm beginning to wonder whether there is a Maitreya. I think, I think these people uh, are placing Maitreya on their Maitreya is their puppet. All right, Michael, thank you for, uh, for the call. Always good to hear from you. It's been a while. Uh, let's say hi uh, to Augie in New York. Hello, Augie. Welcome. How you doing, Richard? How are you? I've called before. Uh, I, I, I love your show. And I, I just wanted to call to suggest a possible uh, show. Uh, I came across something that was absolutely mind-boggling, fascinating, uh, no rhyme or reason to it. And it, it simply is the incredible amount of disappearances of people of all ages, from young children all the way up to senior citizens in America and Canada's national parks. The numbers are staggering. And uh, a gentleman by the name of David Politis. That's right, David Politis, yes. You, you know him. I do. Uh, I've, 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 um, I, I hosted an event here in Toronto several years ago. Oh, you did? With, uh, with David. He was brought to town by uh, Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture, a bookstore. Right. 
And uh, so I got to introduce uh, David. And, of course, David is a regular uh, with George Knapp on uh, my colleague at Coast to Coast and does a tremendous job. And every time David comes on, he just, you know, the... the, just the interest is just tremendous. You're right. It's it's a it's it's, it's, it's mind boggling. You know, dogs when they, when they send the dogs out to um, find them, the dogs in many cases will go around in circles and just refuse to go on, refuse to go on to the search, um, and people are found missing, and then they come back four days later, and they're in the same spot that they were found missing when they already searched the area. Right, right. There, and there's so many, uh, there's so many, so many common denominators with these people that disappear. Um, m- right. Many of them, um, I'm trying to, I don't want to, I don't want to steal David's thunder. I got to get him on the program. He reached out to me recently on Facebook. So uh, I'm going to get him on. And I have his, um, he, he, he's Canada 411 uh, book. You. He has many books now in the series. I think there's like four or five in the series. But uh, yeah, it is. It's actually kind of scary when you hear him. Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! It's scary. Um, you know, one of the facts. I just want to show you one of the things he brought out, which he he discovered recently, rather recently, and it again, no rhyme or reason to it. He's finding that like 80 to 90 percent of these people who are missing, either found dead or found alive, um, believe it or not, are somehow of German descent. Now, yes. wh- why would there be such an inordinate amount of people of, of one particular culture group? It, 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 there's nothing that makes sense about what's going on. Right, right. Uh, and in some cases, the Green Beret are called in to, to coordinate the search. He gets no information from the National Parks Department. The that's, Department yes, that's the, the other, that's the other aspect of the story, is that's how right. tight-lipped they, they are. They are they're stonewalling. They they're stonewalling. They tell him when he's launched FOIA requests uh, exactly. that, that uh, they don't keep that kind of data. Uh, or then they say, well, we have it, but, but it'll cost, you know, it's gonna, we're going to charge you like an exorbitant amount of money to release the data. So there's something very strange afoot. I, I will endeavor to get David on the program. I tell you, I guarantee it would be a blockbuster. Oh, I know it would be. I know it would be. It's so scary. Uh, it, it, is, it just, if you see some of the things that take place, it makes absolutely no whatsoever. Right. For example, they will find a small child in, uh, in, in, that's disappeared, let's say, on a path, uh, and then they will find that child miles away in some inaccessible area. There's no way that child could have uh, gotten exactly. up there on their own. Exactly. Yeah. He, and he doesn't really offer too many explanations. He lets pretty much you come up with some sort of viable solution to what is going on. And I, I will tell you, when you hear all the facts, it's, it is one of the most incredibly inexplicable events I have ever read about. Right, right. Uh, it, yeah, it makes you think twice about uh, venturing into the, one of the national yeah, parks. Absolutely. It just, you know, people will be on a footpath, they'll see the person will be behind them one second, and then the next second they are gone without a They're trace, gone. never to be found again. Never to be found. Some of them are found. That's some true. of them are found dead. Yes. Uh, some of them are never found again. Uh, and when they do find them, they will either, according to Politis, they will either not talk about it or have no recollection as to what took place. 
fascinating and scary. Yep. Augie, great to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, let's head on out to Etobicoke, and Kevin joins us on The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Kevin. Hi, Richard. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I, I was hoping you could explain to me what this pact is that the Prime Minister has gotten us into with the U.N., because I have no knowledge of it, and I don't trust anything I read in the mainstream media anymore. Uh, well, the formal name is the Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's been sort of dubbed the New York Declaration, because it was this migration pact uh, that, I guess, I'm trying to think what... Um, what year they started sort of signing on. But um, I think there are something like 193 member countries. They've signed on to this thing. It's, it's a migration pact uh, that it's been agreed upon by UN members, except for the United States. And uh, it's, well, the draft, I think, came down in July. And then it's supposed to be, well, tomorrow, in fact, tomorrow and December the 11th. So Monday and Tuesday of this coming week, all of the UN members that are that have signed on are going to gather in Marrakesh in Morocco and formally uh, adopt this pact. And Canada is expected to sign on, um, but there are a number of countries, I mentioned the United States, that have serious reservations. Do so, you know if, if the Tories win the next election, can they get Canada out of this? Well, I, I don't see why not, uh, because uh, I, I don't think it's binding. It's much like the Paris... It's oh, okay. the Paris Climate Treaty, it's a, uh, or even um, UN Agenda 21. It's supposed to be voluntary, but we shall see. And and uh, and um, Andrew Scheer has said that he would that he would pull out. So we'll see. But um, what concerns me? I mean, obviously, you know, we, we are concerned about about refugees. What concerns me about, as always, the the vagueness of of the language. Uh, so, for example, the pact proposes, quote, a 360-degree vision of migration that recognizes that better cooperation is needed to facilitate safe and orderly migration. So, in other words, it's, 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 as far as this pact is concerned, mass migration is a fait accompli. All right? Never mind about debating whether we want increased migration uh, or, and where we want it from. The fact is, no, it's coming. We need to figure out how we're going to facilitate it in a safe and orderly manner. So that that concerns me. Again, not opposed to, to refugees, Canada, the United States. I mean, there are not a lot of countries that take refugees. Uh, you know, we are one of the few. So Japan, China, for example, are they taking refugees? No. South Korea? No. Um, the majority don't. The other thing is, I just... Again, I am. I believe in the sanctity of the in the, of the of a sovereign nation state. It is the best safeguard for individual liberties. Yes. And I will not cede that. Huh, I will not, as if I have the power. But we should not cede that to the United Nations. That is, that is that it's an effrontery. It's it is eroding our sovereignty, and the prime minister should not be in the business of eroding our sovereignty. He is, he is sworn to protect our sovereignty. So to me, anyway, you'd have to, if you want to read, there's something like 23 objectives, and um, 
The other thing is they're, they're talking about, you know, the human right to migration. Again, this to me is also disturbing. No one has the right to migrate to this country. You know, we decide, right. we decide who gets in. I'm sorry, it's a club. We should decide who gets in, and we should be able to have a debate as to how many and what types, meaning skill sets and so forth, what types of, uh, uh, of immigrants and the number of immigrants, and we should be able to have an adult conversation without being shouted down by a bunch of bullies in the media who say any, you know, any, and this is the other thing, the part of this migration pact is that journalists are to be educated. Journalists are to be educated. Sounds like a, a, you know, an indoctrination camp for people like me. So there's, there's much to be disturbed about this, and people really need to catch up and read about it. And uh, there is a petition online uh, on, for Parliament Hill. If you, if you Google it, maybe later I can, uh, I can find the, the link. And if you have objections to it, if you want to delve into it, and if you're so inclined to sign the petition. So anyway, we shall see what happens. But yes, people need to wake up to this. It is very, very important that they become aware of what our... Uh, what the current occupant of 24 Sussex Drive is up to. But I, I think you'd agree, Richard. It's not just uh, Trudeau. It's like the Liberal Party is the party of globalism. Yes, yes. And it doesn't matter who the leader is? It would appear so. Um, this, is not the, this is not your father's Liberal Party, that's for sure. They are a radical left, a progressive left uh, a party that like to... to uh, to experiment willy-nilly with, with um, institutions that are vital uh, to the, the security and the longevity of Western civilization. Let's put it that way. Yes. All right. Uh, great to hear from you, Kevin. Thank you for Thank checking you, in Richard. from Etobicoke. Uh, let's see. Well, I know what that is. That's music taking us into the break. So when we come back, we'll get to more of your calls. Open lines, 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Loose lips sink ships. And sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. 740. All right, welcome back. Open lines this hour. Next hour, at the top of the hour, we will be joined by Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator who joins us once a month, and we will talk about angels, of course. Angels, so central to the, uh, the Christmas story. And uh, we'll talk about angelic communications and how angels can uh, improve our daily lives. All right, let's see. Let's go back to the phones and uh, say hi to Donna is in Niagara. Hello, Donna. Welcome. Oh, hi, Richard. I'm sort of a new listener. Welcome. Very recent. Um, I think you were doing the show on crop circles. I have done a number of shows on crop circles, yes. So the most recent one. And you know what? 
I was still really interested, and I wanted. Doesn't seem to have much. I'm sorry, Donna. You kind of cut out there. You, you wanted to know more about. If you had the name of a book that I could get to do more research. Uh, I'll, well, a, a, the name of a book doesn't jump immediately to mind, but I, I, okay. I mean, but here's here's a suggestion. Okay. Uh, one of our um, our frequent guests discussing crop circles is Patty Greer, and uh, we call her the the uh, the crop circle gal. Uh-huh. And she is a filmmaker, and she has made a number of films on crop circles. So okay. if you, let me see if I'm, very quickly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap, 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 and see if on the computer, and see if okay. I can get you her email, or rather her, I'm sorry, her, uh, her web uh, site. Okay. And you can get her films, uh, let's see, cropcirclefilms.com. Cropcirclefilms.com. And she's oh. got a, I think she's made seven or eight films. Uh, and, you know what, I've... I think I've watched those. Yeah, that would be a great place to start. That'd be a great place to start. I watched a lot. Okay, all right. Uh, But there's there's just so many um, um, crop circles, signs, wonders, and mysteries. Yes. Um, uh, Crop circles, art in the landscape. Right, and when I went online, most of the ones came up were from Europe. Hardly get anything in the United States, hmm. and nothing in Canada. Yet I know I've heard they have been in Canada, but anyway, oh, yes. I'm going to research that. The next thing is I want to talk about cell phones. Cell phones, all right. I was just informed, and I've been having trouble. Um, someone said that people are listening in or copying things I do on my phone. Is that true? Well, um, it's possible. I mean, the technology certainly certainly exists. In fact, um, the uh, the, the FBI the FBI have nabbed the FBI have nabbed certain crime syndicate members by because they were able to remotely turn their cell phones on and listen in on conversations. This is this is fact. Uh, I believe it was the FBI who did this. So it, the technology exists. Uh, okay. Whether they're targeting you, I mean, better safe than sorry, right? So uh, okay. y- you know, you can, well, you can, you can, uh, like on your on your laptop or your computer, you cover um, up your your webcams so, so that. Oh, I don't you, use those. No, you don't. Okay. I'm not a sophisticated computer user. All right, maybe that's I a good it, thing. I don't do Facebook. I, but it's my phone that I use. And I'm using Pinterest, and they keep asking me if they can use my camera. Ah, I turn that off. Right, right. But my flash keeps going off. Oh, that's interesting. And I put tape on the back of my phone. Yes. And it still keeps going off. That's interesting. And then this man said, my, my landlord said, Is it, well, you know what? That's a great question. Is it possible for someone to hack into your cell phone? Uh, and in fact, there are emails going around where people will say, "Hey, we've been watching you. You better send us some money." Blackmailing you uh, and, and saying, "You know, we we've been watching you. We've caught you uh, through your webcam in compromising s- situations, or we've been tracking your 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 browser history, and we're going to release this to your contact list and all these naughty places you've been visiting online, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, and these are scams, right? These are scams. 
These are on the order of, you know, the uh, the Prince of Nigeria asking for money, that sort of thing. But yeah. I, I'm sure at some level the technology exists and uh, they they can target who they want to target. I don't think you have anything to worry about, but I am intrigued by the idea that your flash keeps going off. Yeah, and, and I covered up the two the two things at the back that are fo- the camera phone and the camera flash. Plus, I turned it off in in the menu, and it still keeps going off, and I don't know what it's doing. And whenever it says, can we use your camera, you just say, I just exit out. Right, right. Because um, I'm, I'm addicted to that thing called Pinterest. Okay. I travel the world because I, I can't travel right now. So I travel the world on Pinterest. I see places I've never even knew existed, and, and circles. Well, you, you can browse on Pinterest without activating your camera, right? You don't need to activate, unless you're taking pictures and adding to Pinterest, you don't need your camera, so. Yeah, that's why I'm covering it up. Sure. All right. Well, maybe you take that to a, a phone techie and find out what's going on there, because yeah. I can't help you with that. Okay, and I'll look up that crop circle thing. Thank you so much. I Thank enjoy you. If I, you know what, I, if I have uh, problems with my phone or my computer, I go to my 12-year-old twins, who I now affectionately refer to as the IT department. I mean, I haven't, you know, I just haven't a clue. I'm, um, what was that Phil Hartman sketch on Saturday Night Live? He was, I'm just an unfrozen caveman. That's me. <laughs> All right. Uh, do I have time for another one, Ian? No. Ian is waving me off like the third base, base coach on the Toronto Blue Jays. No. Do not attempt to steal home. All right. If you got a line, hold on to it. If not, jump on board. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town. 1-866-740-4740. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Back with more Open Lines. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. From Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. I mentioned this uh, online petition, if you're so inclined. A petition to the Government of Canada regarding the Global Migration Pact. Uh, Petition E-1906. Petition E-1906. And it's petition dot... Petitions, plural. Petitions dot ourcommons dot ca. Again, that's uh, petitions, P-E-T-I-T-I-O-N-S, petitions.ourcommons, O-U-R-C-O-M-M-O-N-S, ourcommons.ca. I think that'll get you where you need to go. And But if you Google it, you should find it. It's a House of Commons, um, Parliament of Canada petitions uh, page. And the one pertaining to the... Um, Migration Pact, I believe, is E-1906, Global Compact for Safe and Orderly and Regular Migration. And it's open for signatures until Feb 21, 2019. All right. Back to the phones. And 
Uh, let's say hi to David in Toronto. Uh, hi, Richard. Hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, we met at uh, Dr. Judy Wood, and uh, I still haven't collected that beer. I owe you a beer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyway, um, <clears throat> recently when the Danforth shooting occurred, it appears that a globalist agenda for the confiscation of firearms appears to be underway. Uh, they, uh, the local, uh, one of the local uh, um, members of parliament in the beaches in the Toronto Danforth riding sent around a, a, an inquiry about whether people would be in favor, and I'm quoting, of legislation that bans handguns and assault weapons. And uh, what they mean, I suppose, by assault weapons is something that looks like a military rifle, but uh, is not full automatic or would be normally be used by military. Right, right. It looks <laughs> like an aggressive weapon, whatever that yeah, means. Something that looked bad, right? Exactly. but had the same. Now, in Australia, it appears as though, and in England, it appears as though the, this has already been accomplished. But in Australia, what uh, a lot of uh, hunting guns were also uh, uh, confiscated, and even... Uh, pump-action shotguns and semi-automatic hunting guns and the like, which which are quite commonly used by hunters. And and <clears throat> he uh, charged his uh, uh, Bill Blair, with uh, a former police chief in Toronto, with finding out <clears throat> whether or not these things came from civilian uh, authorities, uh, sorry, civilian sources, in that uh, private ownership was putting, were putting guns into the hands of of uh, of uh, gang members or right shooting are they floating is it here they're floating this idea that if if your if a gun is stolen from your from your property and and it is used in the commission of a crime you could you could be charged or you could face jail time well uh, you could for unsafe storage um, <clears throat> if you were guilty of any of this un, uh, the breaches of the of the regulations to store firearms which have been in place for twenty years now right. They've never been amended, and instead of increasing the, the regulations on stores and on individuals, uh, the proposal has been simply take them all away. And it's pretty. How, it I mean, it's difficult now to 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 purchase a to own a handgun in this country, is it not? Well, you have to take a course. Uh, you have to have some lack of of criminal record, and then you have to take a course called a possession and acquisition license. And the course is a one day for a long gun uh, license, and then there's a second day, which is mandatory for a for handgun license. And once you pass both of those, then you can you can obtain one. Um, and the most common approved method is for target practice. And there are a lot of firearms clubs in Toronto, sorry, in, in uh, Canada, uh, one in Toronto still, which is under attack by the city. Uh, and you can transport it back and forth from your safe storage in your hmm. in your residence to, yeah, uh, you know, to it's, the club. It's a real shame. We have to get beyond this. Every time there is one of these tragic shootings uh, uh, and, and loss of life, which is absolutely horrific, we all know that, but we have to get beyond the, the uh, you know, gun control uh, response. Uh, why don't we need to really seriously have an, again an adult conversation about these shootings, and and, yeah, the, and start talking about and start the, talking about with the Danforth shooting is that there was there was it was a forty caliber Glock that was used, which is a law enforcement weapon, and 
the brother of, of the shooter was actually living in the house where people are now charged with with a seizure of enough carfentanil, which yes. is synthetic heroin, to kill the entire population of the Western Hemisphere twice. But what I was, also, yeah, also yeah, I'm familiar with those details. Re- but I, what I'm saying is, there's that. But there's also, you know, one of the other common denominators with all these mass shootings, not all of them, but I would say uh, the vast majority is antidepressant medication. Yeah, selective serotonin, uh, serotonin uptake inhibitor. Yes, and we never, nobody ha- wants to have that conversation. Surprise, surprise, because you look at the uh, the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, that that uh, have been sued in court or, or or settled out of court, and for them it's just the cost of doing business because it's a, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. This uh, people in North America are, are popping these drugs like like they're coming out of a Pez dispenser, or a or a penny bubblegum machine. It's it seems like three quarters of the the population is on some sort of a, an SSRI. And nobody wants to have that conversation in the media again because because of the the sponsorships and so forth. There's and black box warnings on them too. Yes. If you look at the at the actual packaging, it says might cause uh, a violence or uh, a suicide, and this is exactly the sort of thing that you see. If the Danforth shooter guy there with his mental problems, who knows what he was on? Yeah, we really need to move beyond the uh, take away their guns uh, from, the, from the people that aren't aren't criminals or gangbangers or, or, or aren't mentally ill uh, people on selective serotonin uptake. Well, it's just a, it's a facile argument and it gets us nowhere. Um, I mean, I'm all for, you know, responsible, uh, you know, gun regulation and so forth, but we have that. Uh, we, need to, we need to really get to the bottom of what's the root cause of this, the root cause of this, and we're not having that discussion. Uh, David, thank you so much uh, for checking in. Good to hear from you. Uh, let's say hi to Alan up in Alaska. Hello, Alan. Hi, David. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? I'm well. Hey, were you affected by that, uh, that big earthquake uh, in, was it uh, Anchorage? Or, it was Anchorage, right? That was down near Anchorage. That's about uh, 360 miles from where I am. I felt it. I heard a little bit, rattled the, the house a bit, but it didn't tear anything up or anything. But that was a, like, what was that, like a seven magnitude, and yet no seven, no seven injury and like that. no serious property? Da- well, this, some of the infrastructure, the roads and so forth collapsed, but... Uh, uh, right, some overpasses and stuff like that, yeah. fell, but I think that's about it. Amazing that there, it was a miracle. They, they learned a lot of lessons from the Easter earthquake back uh, several years ago in... Uh, Really limited a lot of the uh, huge buildings in Anchorage and stuff to try to mitigate some of those problems. Right, right. I mean, you're like, that's like Earthquake Central. You get, like, a lot, right? Yes, sir. All the time. All right. Well, great to hear from you, Alan. What's on your mind? Well, I was I was kind of glad you mentioned the Yellow Vest movement and uh, you, a couple of other things that come up during the show. I think a big part of, of what they're against is the migrant pact that you mentioned and also the Paris Climate Accords. And Macron, of course, is pushing all of these, and he also recently uh, got rid of some uh, taxes for the elite. So, of course, he sounds like an elitist. And uh, I think uh, this this is spreading. I think it's going to spread all over the world. Uh, the globalists are kind of freaking out because the the populists are uh, they're going toward populism. Hello, that's what populists do, right? Exactly. I know. I love the I love the way that that term populism is being twisted. You look at the uh, when when it when it's when it drips out of the mouth of one of these um you know mainstream 
broadcasters or in print, you can just see the derision and, or, or hear the derision in their voices. Populists, a populist movement, and often it's a far-right populist movement. Everyone they disagree with. You never hear anyone talking about the far left. It's always the far right this and the far right that. And, and populism is, it's, it's like, it's a, they use it in the pejorative, like it's a bad thing. To me, you look it up in the dictionary, populism is the opposite of elitism. Yes. And the fo- same, same folks that used to claim they were for the people now are for big government and globalism. It's kind of crazy. Indeed. Well, I agree with you, Alan. I think it, it, it will spread. And um, we, we now have reports that it is spreading. It's in Belgium. It's in, it's in the Netherlands. Uh, it, is, uh, it is spreading throughout France. So uh, we'll, we'll keep our eye on it. I'm wondering if this might be a, a, a tipping point. And uh, we do have, um, uh, we have populist governments now in Italy. Uh, they are thumbing their nose at the EU. They're taking a very hard line against illegal immigration. And the, and the country are ebullient. They're out in the streets celebrating. Uh, Salvini, the deputy prime minister, and Conte, the prime minister, in contrast that with what's going on in France. That's a pretty clear message as far as I'm concerned. A lot of the Eastern European nations are too. Yes, yes. Absolutely, Poland, Hungary, um, yeah. Hungary. I don't. Uh, I don't believe Hungary is signing on to the the migration pact uh, as well. And Austria is kind of taking a wait and see attitude. So, we'll see. It should be interesting. Uh, thank you for the call. Bye. Thank you. All right, Alan. All the best. Uh, let's say hi to uh, Andrews in Mississauga. Hi, I know it's uh, almost the end of the hour, but I'll try to make this quick. Uh, I know your show essentially is to, there to uh, question the truth, you know, expose the unknown. But I have a question for you. Um, when do you think uh, it became taboo uh, to question the government or question official narrative events? I remember um, it was like mainstream media for the most part were questioning like the Iraq War and 9-11. But then one thing I noticed past year is um, the Las Vegas attack. People were questioning for a few days, and then it just fell off the radar. Um, is your opinion, do you think it fell off the radar just because it's been 15, 16 years since 9-11? We have social media, um, Twitter, other distractions, or do you think people are getting better at like shutting down the narrative? Um, I think all of those things, a combination. I think the, the, uh, the, intense, the intensity of the news cycle, it's not even a 24-hour news cycle, and a lot of that has to do with, with, uh, with President Trump because he drives the news cycle. Uh, he gets up in the morning and he'll send out, he's very clever this way, uh, he, 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 because the media is against him, he's basically decided, well, if they're going to be against me, I'm, gonna, I'm going to at least, it's like uh, throwing you know, pork loin into a backyard and it's descended upon by a bunch of pit bulls. Uh, if they're going to come at me, I'm going to decide what they're going to come at me for. And so he gets up in the morning or three in the morning and he sends out six, seven, eight tweets and then the media latch onto those things. And while they're preoccupied with that, he's, he's on to something else. Mm-hmm. So that is that has really intensified the, the the news cycle. I mean, it's it's a, it's almost at a dizzying pace now. Uh, it's it's hard to keep up. There's so much going on all at once. So there's that. So you know, Las Vegas is hot for a little while, and then yeah, think about it. The largest mass murder in the United States in history, and we still know very little. We don't know motive. Motive. We don't know who else was with them. We don't know. Um, a lot of things. I don't think we have the autopsy uh, report, do we? Um, 
there's so many things that we don't know about that. And you're right. The journalists should be all over that all day, every day. Uh, I know uh, Tucker Carlson, who I watch uh, fairly um, regularly, uh, will occasionally uh, bring something up regarding that and saying, you know, we, we still don't know very much about it. Uh, but I, I think that word conspiracy scares a lot of, a lot of uh, broadcasters away. They don't want to be attached to that word. Uh, but all that requires, is required for a conspiracy is for more than one person to be involved. And then you have a criminal conspiracy. And uh, that's, you know, that's certainly possible in, in the case of the Vegas shooting, that there was a conspiracy, a cover-up. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, that we don't know about that. And the reason is why, why, why are they keeping it from us? Um, so, yeah, we, we should well, be all over that every day. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, taking my call, Richard, and have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Okay, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, do we have time for one more? N- no. Okay. We will uh, set the open lines aside for now. We'll revisit this from time to time. I enjoy it, and I think you do too. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley on the other side, communicating with angels. I think we should all try and find the... Uh, the angels of our better selves as we head into the Christmas break, the Christmas season. And uh, she'll help us figure out how we can communicate with angels. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the shag carpeting, the wood-burning stove, and the ping-pong table. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. Well, hello to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio. 740 megahertz on the amplitude modulation band, 96.7 on the frequency modulation band here in Toronto. Hiya to everyone catching The Conspiracy Show on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hi to those who take the show with you on your mobile device and the Zoomer Radio app. Now, I just received a text message from the mighty Aphrodite. Uh, back home, and uh, she says the Conspiracy Show app is no longer available on iTunes. I, I'm, I'm shocked. I wasn't aware of this. It comes as a complete surprise to me, and, um, well, I'll be looking into it, needless to say. So, uh, howdy to all of you who watch the, uh, the live stream on our YouTube channel. And just a reminder, we're not live streaming tonight on YouTube. However, this radio transmission uh, will be uploaded to the YouTube channel in just a few days. And once again, the YouTube channel is now called Strange Planet. The YouTube channel is now called Strange Planet, and we've passed 13,000 subs. So please, help us get to 15,000 and hit that red sub button. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is here for the full hour to talk about angels and angelic communication. Before that, uh, just a reminder, The Conspiracy Show is now on Patreon. If you're a fan of the show or my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited uh, or The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone, 
and you'd like to become an official uh, patron of The Conspiracy Show, just go to patreon.com forward slash The Conspiracy Show, patreon.com forward slash The Conspiracy Show, and check out the three tiers or levels of support. The Star Chamber, Whistleblower, Truth Seeker. And uh, incidentally, I want to thank, I want to mention and thank our, uh, our Star Chamber members. And it's uh, Denny, Denny Blaisdell, I believe. Let me see. I want to make sure I get this name right. Denny Blaisdell and Brad Richardson, two of our Star Chamber uh, patrons. Thank you so much, Denny and Brad, for your support. Also, every month, uh, the names of Patreon donors in the Star Chamber, Whistleblower, and Truth Seeker tiers are entered into a draw for Conspiracy Show merch. And this month's winner is Robert Carrasco of Oakland. Uh, Robert, you'll be receiving a copy of my Strange Planet Volume 2 CD, and that's a collection of my weekly radio features called Strange Planet. Uh, Also, the exclusive monthly hangouts on air and monthly chats for Patreon members, that begins, or those begin in January. The monthly hangout on air with me or the exclusive monthly chat with me so if you're a, a Patreon sponsor and you'll be, uh, you'll be receiving more details on how to get in on the Hangout on Air and chat with me, those start in January. Patreon.com forward slash The Conspiracy Show. All right. As we head into the Christmas season, I always enjoy talking about angels. Uh, angels, of course, central to the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus. I, I'm fascinated by them, as is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And Rosemary joins us once a month to discuss all things supernatural, otherworldly, paranormal. She's here for the hour to talk about angels and her book, Calling Upon Angels, How Angels Can Help Us in Daily Life. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, Richard. I'm having a pleasant holiday month. Excellent. Well, um... Angels, with you, that started real early. I mean, you were, you, you felt since childhood that you were surrounded by angels. Did you see them? I didn't see them. I sensed them, and I heard them. Uh, and I didn't start seeing things until I was a lot older, and I, I worked at developing my psychic ability. But um, I uh, felt angels around me at night before I would go to sleep, and they sang to me. And uh, if uh, we were out in the car, if I was out in the car with my parents, uh, I felt that they were with me, and they would sing to me uh, while I was in the back seat. And I thought everybody had angels around them. Uh, it, to me, it was perfectly natural. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that uh, people don't uh, often experience angels. They, uh, they might not see them, hear them. Um, they might have maybe one or two experiences in their whole life, but not experience them on an ongoing basis. So throughout my life, I have uh, cultivated this relationship with the angel kingdom, and I felt that it's been very important to me in my own spiritual path. Uh, They are, by their very definition and nature, messengers from the Godhead, and they are intercessors, and they connect us to the divine. In, in popular culture, they, they've been portrayed, I think, of, um, you know, Touched by an Angel, which was a wonderful show, uh, or Highway to Heaven. So we think of angels as being, you know, very uh, approachable, uh, very uh, human-like. Um, 
so we have that. We're going to contrast that with sort of biblical accounts. And I think of angels, and, and you, you, you refer to them in, in um, calling upon angels as having this majesty, being full of majesty and power. I think of, um, you know, if, if, if I were to be, if I were to encounter one of the arch, archangels like Michael or Gabriel, I think I would be terrified. I think I, they would be so, you know, the light would be blinding. It would be, it would be so awe inspiring almost to the point of being frightening. What do you think? Well, they are characterized by brilliant light. And in fact, when they do manifest in appearance to people, it's often as a pillar of light, not as a winged being. And I've had several of those experiences myself throughout life. Uh, The light is so intense that you can't even look at it directly. And uh, angels have communicated that they, they have to lower the intensity of their light, uh, just to even get to that threshold, uh, that the human organism just simply could not stand the intensity and the brilliance. Uh, There are, by the way, only a few angels, according to lore, who are capable of standing in the brilliance of God. They're called angels of the presence. And there are said to be seven of them, and uh, the archangels that we're most familiar with, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel, are among those seven who have the capability of withstanding the direct brilliance of God. Uh, you mentioned wings. Is that, is that just, again, another sort of myth that's come down through popular culture because we refer to them as messengers? I mean, do angels, in fact, have wings? Uh, they can have wings and appearances. Uh, it seems that when angels manifest to people, they take on a form that's most appropriate for the encounter and the individual. But the addition of wings really came from the, the, uh, the Greeks and the Romans. When uh, angels were adopted into the official dogma of the emerging Christian church, there was a great debate among the theologians as to whether or not angels could even be portrayed in art, because there were no official images of God, uh, and so how could something that's even semi-divine be, um, be portrayed in art? But we did allow angels into um, the religious art. And so the early artists looked first to the classical gods for models, and uh, these were gods who had wings on their helmets, like um, Hermes Mercury of the Greeks and Romans, the messenger god, or they had wings on their feet, like Nike. And the wings symbolized the ability for rapid transport uh, between worlds and the ability to reach heaven. Uh, people looked up into the sky, where they, which they associated with heaven, the heavenly realms, and birds are in the sky, and so anything that could access heaven surely would have to have wings. Well, over the course of time, uh, the wing became more and more emphasized in art, so that by the time we reach the Renaissance and the pre-Raphaelites, wings are absolutely enormous. Swans were used for models, and uh, the wings are uh, glorious-looking and sometimes multicolored as well. But in real life, angels may not have wings when they appear to people. Uh, I think I've shared this story with you years ago, but my, my one little fella, North, well, he's now not so little now, he's 12, but I remember we came out of, uh, we were visiting his, his uh, godparents, and uh, he might have been two. He could barely, just, just to the point of forming very simple sentences. 
Maybe he was two and a half. And uh, either my wife and I were carrying him down the steps uh, of uh, the the, the godparents' house after the visit around Christmas. And he looked up into this pine tree or um, a cedar tree or whatever it was. And he pointed. And there was nothing there to, to the visible eye. And he pointed. And he said something to the effect of, look, an angel. And he talked about wings. We asked him to describe it. And he talked about the wings having eyes. And it seems to me that one of the nine orders of angels, one of those angels or types of angels, they have wings with eyes. I'm not sure if it's the seraphim. Does that sound familiar? Uh, The seraphim are described as having wings with eyes, yes. Uh, The higher angels, uh, and we conceive of angels in a hierarchy of ascending order to the Godhead. And what the eyes symbolize uh, are, are the eye, literally the eyes of God, the many seeing eyes of God, which see everything in creation in all directions. Now, he, he, I mean, he, he was two and a half. He had no, you know, there was no feeding his mind with talk of angels or anything like this. There's no way he would have known anything about that. In fact, I didn't know about angels with eyes until we looked it up. Uh, I mean, it, would a seraphim make its make itself visible to someone, or I mean, do we have any dealings with with seraphim? Well, the seraphim are said to be the closest order to God, the highest, uh-huh. and their energy is the most intense and most refined. And according to official lore, they don't often uh, mingle with with humans because of that. Rather, they. Uh, sort of uh, uh, make their energy available to the lower orders of angels who have more congress with human beings. And some of the archangels are described as having uh, eyes as well uh, on their wings. So uh, it's certainly plausible that your son could have had that sort of experience. And I find experiences like that uh, as wonderful evidence and testimony to the existence of angels, that people without any direct knowledge of how angels uh, should act or what they should look like have uh, experiences that share common threads throughout history. Yes, as do I. And uh, I, I mean, I love that story and that it happened to my little guy, and I think about it often. Um, We'll uh, take a time out, Rosemary. We'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll dive into Calling Upon Angels, which has been out for, I think, three years now. But it's a great... It, it has been out for several years, and angels are always popular, and especially this time of year. Christmas, our thoughts turn to angels Absolutely. Uh, more than at other times of the year. All right, and we'll talk more about angels on the other side. Rosemary Ellen Guiley here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us for the full hour. We're talking angels. We talked about the seraphim. Um, the, um, the other order that, uh, of, of angels that I, I find interesting are the principalities or rulers. So are they involved, say, in the, the geopolitical goings-on on Earth? Do they, do they interact with world leaders uh, in, in some manner? 
Well, that would be one of their functions. Now, uh, I should point out that the order of angels uh, that we're familiar with was conceived by an individual known by the name of Pseudo Dionysius, uh, whose writings are believed to date to the 5th or 6th century. And he's only one of many theologians who conceived of orders of angels and their duties. Uh, but one of the duties, whether they're principalities or some other kind of uh, angel, would be to oversee the, um, you could call it the politics of Earth, that is, uh, peace on the planet, uh, good relations um, among nations and uh, societies. And so one of their functions then would be to, uh, to commune with the heads of state. They got their hands full these days, obviously. Oh, they certainly do. And another function that they would have would be uh, overseeing religion. And, you know, people ask, well, if angels are really doing their job, why do we have so much discord and chaos and, mm. and unhappiness? But uh, it's made quite clear in all the writings about angels that it's not their job to solve our problems for us. Uh, what is their job is to help maintain uh, the order of the universe and to provide help when they are asked, and in ways that they are able to. Now, you, you mentioned that the, the hierarchy comes to us from this, uh, this one individual, uh, D- uh, Dionysius? Uh, Pseudo-Dionysius. Right. Uh, so he was sort of Dionysius. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's called Pseudo-Dionysius. It's an odd name. It makes it sound like he's a phony, but <laughs> it wasn't that he was a, a false person. There's a biblical character by the name of Dionysius, and so he was called Pseudo-Dionysius um, early on, centuries ago, to distinguish oh, him see. from that biblical figure. Uh, he was a Christian. He might have been a Syrian priest. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he um, he put together a nine-level hierarchy of angels that uh, the reason why we're familiar with it today is because it was adopted by St. Thomas Aquinas. And Aquinas lived in the 1200s. He was a theologian, and he became literally the greatest doctor of the Church. So what Thomas Aquinas said and wrote about went. So did Pseudo-Dionysius, did he receive his information about angels, not from from Scripture, but, I mean, how did he formulate this this hierarchy? Is is it in the Bible? I mean, are all of these angels, for example, all of the seven angels that are mentioned, which all correspond to sort of a day of the week, are they all mentioned in in Scripture? Well, actually, there's very little about angels uh, in terms of detail in the Scripture. Uh, They're mentioned quite frequently, but they're not named. They're only two angels in uh, the Bible who are named Gabriel, who uh, announces the coming of of Jesus, and also uh, John the Baptist, and uh, Michael is mentioned, and in the Catholic canon, Raphael is mentioned by name. Otherwise, uh, angels are called angels of the Lord, or an angel, um, and uh, they're not described in terms of their... um, their duties, their organization. Most of that information comes from books that were left out of the Bible for one reason or another. And some of those books, uh, like the Book of Enoch and Jubilees, uh, they go into much more detail about how angels are organized in the cosmos. So the theologians who uh, created these, uh, these hierarchies, they drew upon some of these apocryphal works, the 
the, the excluded books are called the Apocrypha, which means uh, hidden works, and uh, also just from their own direct inspiration. And some of them just, they just state it as fact, you know, that uh, this is what I know about angels. And uh, we can presume that because uh, many of these theologians, of course, spend a great deal of their time in prayer and contemplation, that uh, they received a lot of inspiration. Now, can anyone acts or uh, communicate with an archangel? For example, you have a friend, um, Juliet Hollister, who had an encounter with the archangel Michael. How did that happen? Uh, this happened in the 1980s, and uh, this was a time when uh, belief in angels was kind of at an ebb. Uh, and in fact, for a long time in modern history, uh, people felt that only important individuals or religious people would have actual contact with angels. And uh, if if you thought you encountered an angel, well, you didn't want to talk about it because people might think uh, that you were putting on airs or you were crazy. And, of course, uh, we've had a complete turnaround in that today, thankfully, because it's not the case. Well, Juliet uh, had uh, an ecumenical organization called the Temple for Understanding, and this was an effort to bring all religions to the table uh, to talk about their similarities, their differences, and how they could further the spirituality of, of humanity and work for peace on the planet. And uh, she would organize uh, a conference every year. Well, this one particular year, the conference was going to be held at the world's largest Gothic cathedral, and that's in Manhattan. It's called St. John the Divine. It's a spectacular place. Uh, and uh, there was going to be a ceremony at the end of this, a candlelight ceremony, where representatives of all the faiths, the Dalai Lama was going to be there, the Assistant Secretary to the UN, representatives of every religion uh, around the earth, uh, and that all the representatives would uh, come up to the altar in a candlelight pr- uh, procession and just say a few words about uh, the importance of their faith and their personal, um, their personal meaning. So Juliet was going to say something about the temple itself, uh, this ecumenical organization. And um, there was a rehearsal one night, and she was staying in Manhattan in in, um, a uh, hotel room, uh, waiting uh, to go. She laid down for a nap. She was going to go uh, to the cathedral for this rehearsal. She was a little nervous about what she was going to say. And as she was laying there, she suddenly realized that in the corner of the room, there was suddenly a brilliant pillar of light. And it was incredibly bright, and she didn't know what it was. It mystified her. And she began to get the impression that it was an angel, and not only that, that it was the archangel Michael. Well, this pillar of light began communicating with her telepathically. And the message was, you know, Juliet, um, you could do angels a great service here. You're going to be addressing uh, thousands of people, and if you could tell them about us, that we're real, that we do exist, and we stand ready to help people, but people have to ask for our help, you would do us a great service. And you can imagine that Juliet's kind of floored by this. Uh, she had uh, had some unusual encounters in her life, but 
uh, angels were not a major part of it. And so she strikes a deal with this figure, and she says, well, okay, if you can prove who uh, who you are, uh, then I'll do it. And with that, this light vanishes. So uh, she goes out to the street, gets dressed, goes out to the street. It's a Friday night. It's very cold, nasty weather. Uh, you can imagine anyone who's been in New York City Friday night at rush hour trying to get a taxi. Good luck. <laughs> and so she stands on the street, tries to flag a taxi down, and all of a sudden this light bulb goes off in her head. Hey, wait a minute. I can call on an angel now. She says, okay, Michael, uh, surely uh, you can send a girl a taxi. And within seconds, a taxi pulls up, and she gets in. Well, a lot of taxi drivers have crucifixes hanging from their rearview mirror sure. or some sort of religious items or families of uh, photos of their families. And uh, as, as they go along, she notices her attention is drawn to this rather cheap-looking and very large statue of an angel on the dashboard, mm. and it says, The Right Archangel Michael, mm. base of the statue. So you can see how all of these things are piling up. <laughs> well, she has a conversation with the taxi driver. Uh, he has his license display. His name is Tony. She says, say, Tony, why are you uh, having a statue of, of the Archangel Michael in your taxi? And he says to her, you don't know about Mike? Let me tell you about Mike. He's my best friend. And he goes on and on about how all the times, anything, the smallest thing in life, the smallest problem, um, he can turn to Mike and get some help. Uh, and he, he said, you know, you should ask him uh, yourself. He could be your best friend, too. Uh, so when Juliet gets out at the cathedral, uh, she says, okay, I'm convinced I will do it. Um, but she's still a little nervous because she has no idea how people are going to react to angels. It just isn't discussed. Uh, and it's, it's an old topic relegated to Christmas cards and Christmas carols in the Bible, uh, not modern day. But she follows through with her bargain, and she talks about angels and how they are ready to help us uh, but they do need to be asked. Uh, they're not going to um, intervene uh, in our business, but they will help us when we ask for their help, and they will help us according to how they can. And um, she said that the talk was well-received, much to her surprise. She expected maybe some bad backlash reaction. And then she got an avalanche of response uh, from people who were in attendance there. And there were thousands of people, and the cathedral can hold thousands and thousands for these big ceremonies. Um, people who wrote to her and contacted her later saying, I'm so glad you said that. I've always believed in angels, and they are our biggest helpers. Thank you for validating that. Mm. Uh, well, of course, in the 90s then, uh, you mentioned the show Touched by an Angel. Yes. We had this explosion of interest in angels, and I think our society was ready for it then. Um, angels had been sort of, a, I guess you could say, lurking in the background for so long, uh, waiting for attention. And we seemed to be in a collective state of 
need of spiritual help and and uh, divine support. And so we had an explosion of television shows, documentaries, books uh, about angels, and they've become more firmly anchored into our spiritual practices since. Uh, the idea that on our wall, our kitchen wall, we have uh, we have a number of icons in the house. One of my favorites is the hospitality of Abraham, and he is. Um, I guess he's out in the desert and he has a tent, and uh, uh, these three figures come to him looking for food. And, of course, he and his wife put out a, a nice spread for them, and these three, it turns out, are angels. So it seems that from time to time, uh, God will send his angels to sort of test our character, um, you, you talk about that in the in the book. Um, I mean, I know you wrote it three years ago, I'm, I, but I don't want to necessarily talk about a specific case, if you can remember one. But cases where angels, they may appear very, uh, very human, sort of humble. Uh, they come looking for help as if they're there to test us. Well, yes, and I think that angels are sent among us unawares, as the expression goes. And, um, you know, Richard, I've actually done about six or seven books on angels over the years, and they're such an important part of my work. Uh, somebody is always wanting to know about them, so it's all, you know, very, uh, you know, current um, even though we don't have the, the the TV shows today. But um, the story of Abraham, well, it has a number of functions. Uh, the three, three angels come and visit the elderly Abraham and Sarah, who are childless. And uh, as was customary in the time with travelers, um, you were welcomed, uh, you were fed, you might be housed. And so these three strangers are given a meal, and they seem to eat this meal with Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they predict that Sarah will get pregnant and have a child, which the, the elderly couple find hard to believe because she's past childbearing. And uh, then they depart. And uh, uh, after giving this good news and even a blessing to them, then two of them, I find it rather ironic, two of them, uh, go off and lay waste to Sodom and Gomorrah uh, upon the, the instructions of God. But um, Sarah does become pregnant. They have a son, Isaac, uh, and so the angel's prophecy came true. Uh, well, sometimes there are parallels in modern life where our goodwill is tested, and here we have the goodwill of Abraham and Sarah being tested. They are hospitable to the three angels. They welcome them. They feed them. They uh, give them shelter uh, while they, they are with them. And uh, I have a story like that in the book. Uh, I'll get you to tell that. Um, Rosemary, I'll get you to tell that story when we okay. come right back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley calling upon angels right here on The Conspiracy Show. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. 
Uh, Rosemary, just before the break, you were going to tell us uh, about uh, how angels, in modern times as well, not just when we were talking about the icon the, uh, or the, the, the biblical story of uh, the hospitality of Abram, Abraham when he and Sarah are visited by three angels in disguise. But this happens in modern day uh, times as well, where angels are sent to sort of test our character. Yes, and it seems that angels are sent among us to uh, to test our goodwill, to test uh, what we will do for our fellow human beings. Um, I do want to say one thing about eating. Uh, there was a huge theological debate over whether or not angels could actually eat food, according to this biblical description. And the uh, the upshot of that was that Angels are immaterial beings. They can take form, but they are basically thought forms or energy. And so they give the appearance of eating when it, it serves their purpose. I think that's an interesting little thing. It is. To it, it is. Um, but in, in this modern story, uh, it involved a woman uh, who had several small children, and she was taking them someplace. She had already put them in the car out in the driveway, and she was closing up the house, when suddenly uh, there was a knock on the door, and she opened it to find uh, a stranger, a man dressed very neatly, all in black. And he said he was hungry, and was there anything that she could give him to eat? Well, it would have been very easy to turn him away. Uh, She was busy, she was about to leave, she might have been suspicious. But uh, she had him wait on the porch, and she went into her kitchen, and she didn't have much food in the refrigerator. But she fixed what she had and made him a little meal of an uh, an egg sandwich and some coffee with milk in it and took it out to him. Uh, And he thanked her, and then uh, she proceeded to uh, lock up the car and, uh, I mean, lock up the house and go out to the car with her children, where her children are waiting. And when she got to the car, uh, her children said, well, what took you so long? And she said, why, didn't you see? I, uh, I gave some food to that uh, man on the porch. And they said, what man? Mm. They had not seen any man come up the driveway, and it was a fairly long driveway, or knock on the door. And this is a, a common characteristic about angel appearances, that the person who's intended to have the experience will see them, sense them, feel them, hear them, uh, and maybe not all of those, but at least some of those, while other people are excluded from the experience. And she believed that she had been visited by an angel and that it was a test of her goodwill toward a stranger who is in need. So how do angels... I mean, they can just appear in in full-on apparitions. You mentioned sort of this pillar of light... Uh, how else do they choose to communicate with us mere mortals? They can communicate through our dreams, and this has a biblical basis as well. Uh, Angels are often appearing in the dreams of people to impart messages, and we find dramatic examples of that in the New Testament, where Joseph, the husband of Mary, is told by an angel in a dream to to take her um, away. Uh, in, in a time in danger. And uh, Jacob in the Old Testament has um, a dream of angels going up and down the ladder uh, of heaven, and it has to do with uh, planting his, um, uh, his 
his right to a, a piece of ground. Uh, and so angels can give us messages in dreams. They will appear as mysterious figures in dreams or shiny figures, sometimes as uh, in an image of what we conceive an angel to be. They will appear in human form as mysterious strangers. This is a peculiar kind of um, contact where um, a person is in a crisis, um, and it might even be a, a life or death kind of crisis, and suddenly a mysterious stranger appears um, with an unusual appearance. They are frequently described as having unusual eyes, or there's something about their energy field that's odd. Uh, they don't say much. They know exactly what to do to, to resolve uh, the problem, and then they mysteriously disappear, never to be found again. And uh, we continue to have examples of this uh, in, in modern times. So the angel then takes on a form that is uh, the best for whatever situation is unfolding. You can imagine, uh, you mentioned early in the show, Richard, that uh, the appearance of a blinding spiritual light could be terrifying to someone. And in biblical accounts it is. Uh, when angels appear and they appear in this glory of divine light, uh, people are afraid. Uh, they're afraid, first of all, because angels are messengers of God, and God must be showing up to tell them something important or maybe even punish them for something. Uh, and they're also just afraid to be in the presence of such intense energy. So imagine that you're in a jam, uh, and this blinding light uh, flies down from the skies. Um, you're going to be more disoriented or upset or even terrified with the appearance of that than you would with um, a friendly-looking person who comes along and helps you out of your situation. Uh, in some cases, there's no apparition. There are what are called the hands of God. That is, people feel invisible hands yank them away from something that's about to cause them great harm or could be potentially fatal. Yes, uh, I've heard many, many stories on this program and elsewhere uh, when I've solicited calls about angelic interactions and people believe that they have been saved. Uh, this invisible pair of hands may be uh, nudging them awake just before their car careens out of control or uh, they've been, you know, pulled away from the curb just before a car came. They look around, there's nobody there. So these are these are angels, but is there not some sort of a, a non-interference uh, uh, clause? I mean, uh, are they allowed to do that? Well, this this is an interesting point that um, I would say all of us uh, who are interested in angels go round and round about. And the question is, why does the intervention occur for some people and not for others? Let's, let's, let's address this on the other side. Uh, Rosemary, quick time out. We'll come back and we'll get right to that point. Calling upon angels. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Please stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. And uh, just before the break, Rosemary, we were talking about... Um, it's, it's sort of like the, the prime directive on Star Trek, where the, the crew of the Enterprise is not allowed to directly interfere with some alien civilization, you know, change the course of history and so forth. So my question to you was, are angels allowed to do that? Because we hear many, many stories from people who believe that an angel has saved their lives. Uh, you, you detail them in, in your book, uh, Calling Upon Angels. So this is a, a raging debate. Are angels allowed to do this? Well, they they are in certain circumstances. Now, um, there is contradictory lore upon uh, on whether or not angels have free will. And the traditional view is that angels uh, have no free will of their own. They act according to the will of of God, and they have to be called upon uh, before they can uh, provide help. Uh, and yet, we have these intervention cases. Uh, well, in many of those cases, uh, people do send out a prayer for help. Um, they're in an emergency, and it's kind of an automatic response. So, please, God, help me, or uh, people feel they're in imminent danger of dying. Uh, please, I, I don't want to die. Please save me. And that sends out uh, a prayer for help. Uh, I have a case like that in the book where... Uh, a worker in a, in a mill grabbed hold of a high-voltage wire that he did not know was live, and as he felt the electricity surge through him, his, um, his automatic prayer was, you know, uh, God, I don't want to die. And in that instant, he felt uh, in what he described as invisible hands grab him around his wa- waist and pull him free of... Uh, this wire. Well, his co-workers credited his thick-soled rubber shoes to his survival, but he felt that it was an angel that had been sent to to save him. Well, we asked the question, um, why why would he be saved and someone else um, winds up having a fatal accident? And I think these questions then get into very deep territory with uh, our individual life plan. Uh, I firmly believe that we go when we're meant to go, whatever age that is and whatever circumstances those are. I believe in reincarnation and that every life has um, a basic game plan to it. And when our time is up, it's up. Um, But we could come into circumstances that could threaten um, uh, an early departure, and uh, these may be cases where we experience these these interventions. In some cases, also, uh, the interventions have another purpose, or at least that's how the experiencers explain them. And uh, these might be individuals who are despondent, who... Um, uh, are, are, are on the wrong path, uh, their lives are, are kind of messed up, and something critical happens, it's a turning point, and there is a divine intervention, and uh, that's the trigger then that helps them get back on the right track. Uh, now, I have another book called uh, Christmas Angels, True Stories of Hope and Healing, 
And there is a story in that book of a woman who was battling drug addiction, and she described herself as, as um, she said, my life was just swirling down a drain. And uh, close to Christmas, she was in a bar drinking with friends one night. Uh, they were at a table, and it was her turn to go get the group drinks. So she went up to the bar, and there was a man sitting at the bar. Uh, and what was unusual uh, was that he was a black man. And she said just about everybody in the bar was white, so he really stood out. And she puts in the order, and uh, he has a beer in front of him, but he doesn't drink it. And while she's waiting, he starts talking to her. He knows her name. He knows all about her life. And he gives her kind of a spiritual sermon uh, about how she should and can get her life back together. This conversation seems to go on a long time, and she's just absolutely mesmerized with how does this stranger... Um, know so much about me. So she turns to go back to her friends without even taking the drinks and uh, goes back to the table because she wants to tell them about it. And they're like, well, hey, where are our drinks? And she said, well, I was talking to this man up at the bar. I want to tell you what happened. And she turns around and looks, and there's no man there. Uh, There's a beer, but there's no man (laughs) <laughs> and they said, what man? We didn't see any man sitting at the bar. Uh, and so the whole experience seemed to have the purpose of um, maybe it's her higher self calling this in, of uh, this is the time, the critical time for this woman to get her act together. Uh, and angel interventions seem to happen in these cases, too. So we we call out for help, whether it's, uh, consciously or subconsciously. Uh, the other night on Netflix, we were watching, it was an old, uh, not that old, I think around 2006, Adam Sandler. It was a movie, it was called Click. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But he plays this really busy, uh, he's an architect, and he doesn't have a lot of time to spend uh, with his family. And then he meets this uh, eccentric, eccentric inventor, played by Christopher Walken, who gives him a universal remote control that actually controls time, so he can rewind and fast-forward through the unpleasant parts of life and so forth, and eventually the remote control starts to control him. But Christopher Walken, we learn at the end, his name is Morty. Morty, as in, I guess, mortality or mortal. Morty is the angel of death. Is there an angel of death? There is, and uh, Michael often fills that function as being the escorter of souls. Um, There are other angels that are named as the angel of death, and their purpose is to help the soul to the other side when when our time is up. And John Dye played that figure so well in that popular TV show, um, Touched by an Angel, where uh, the angel of death is often portrayed as a very beautiful, alluring figure um, to help make death uh, easier, help make that transition easier. And do we only see the angel of death when it's our time, or uh, have, have people seen the angel of death, you know, say during a near-death experience? Well, uh, angels of death can can be seen for other people, and um, I have some descriptions of that in uh, Calling Upon Angels. 
Um, for example, um, people who work in hospitals, if they have um, unusual psychic abilities or clairvoyant abilities, they become tuned into the um, psychic atmosphere of the hospital and the patients. And there have been cases where uh, medical uh, workers have seen figures that they interpret as the angel of death coming around a bedside for someone who is about to make their transition. And uh, I remember uh, this one nurse describing her experiences um, that it didn't matter what the condition of the patient was or what the doctors predicted, uh, whether this patient would recover or not. Once that figure appeared, it meant that transition was imminent. And um, others have have described it as um, an angel that, uh, if the angel stands at the head of the bed, it means going. If it's at the foot of the bed, it means recovery. Uh, and uh, I have collected many of these kinds of accounts over the years where people see this heavenly figure uh, around a person who is nearing the time of their transition. Um, otherwise, uh, we may not see an, an angel of death. Uh, they, uh, they have been documented in deathbed visions where people have um, passed, um, such as through a lingering illness, uh, and the closer they get to their transition, they start to see heavenly vistas, um, um, visits by the dead, angelic figures who come and spend time with them, and uh, at the closest time of transition, they may even see, see if they can speak uh, and describe uh, angelic figures who they say are coming to take them to heaven. And one of the terms that was coined in parapsychology uh, for this was takeaway apparition. Um, sometimes other people at the bedside can see these figures as well. Now, I, I believe that uh, the angels are sort of a separate creation. Uh, they're not human. Uh, but a lot of people believe that sort of dead relatives become angels. They become then guardian angels. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you believe with, with regards well, to that? Unlike you, Richard, I believe that angels are distinctly different from us. And, in fact, I've had experiences and messages. Uh, I have some uh, incredible channeled messages from angels that are in calling upon angels where they talk about this. And they say, well, you know, we're different from you. Uh, we tread a different path. It's a parallel path where you're actually as close to God as we are, but we're just different in, in how we, we execute our duties uh, and what our purposes are. Uh, and uh, angels were created, uh, according to biblical lore, at a separate time from human beings. But yes, many people do say that, uh, oh, Grandpa's my guardian angel now, uh, that our ancestral dead take on that role. So my feeling is that um, people can become angel-like after death. Uh, so many cases of communication from the dead where the dead seem to remain very close to a um, some of their living relatives and that they show up in dreams or they give messages uh, and guidance from time to time. They take on that role. It could very well be that this is how the angelic realm is working through them. 
that it is easier for a person to relate to, say, my aunt or my grandpa or my dad, uh, than it might be for them to accept an angel coming to them. So I, I think that these are, are very clever ways that uh, the angelic realm is able to uh, to pass on uh, guidance and uh, especially spiritual help to us. We've got about a minute here, Rosemary. Leave with, with, with some tips on how we can communicate with angels, ask for help, and receive help from angels. The best way is through prayer. Um, ask in prayer for uh, your guardian angel to be made known to you and ask for a name. And uh, it will come. It may, might come right away. It, it uh, might take a while uh, to get a name. But uh, if you work at it, you will uh, feel a presence around you. You may even hear messages that come to you telepathically. You may get signs like feathers, coins, other synchronicities uh, that indicate that, yes, these presences are around you. They've always been around you, and you can call upon them for all kinds of guidance. All right. Now, how do we get hold of your one of many? You've got, um, what, four, five, six books about angels. Uh, we've talked about calling upon angels. You have others. How do we get a hold of those books? They're all available on Amazon. I have uh, my three flagship books are Calling Upon Angels, the one we're talking about tonight, Christmas Angels, True Stories of Hope and Healing, and then I have an Encyclopedia of Angels, which is uh, an amazing work uh, that imparts uh, a lot of incredible information about angels. Amazon, they're also available um, in ebook formats as well. And uh, the website visionaryliving.com, they can find them there as well. Rosemary, always a pleasure. I, I enjoyed our conversation as per usual. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you, Richard. We'll talk to you in the new year. Indeed we shall. Rosemary Allen Guiley. All right. Thank you, Ian, Ryan, Albert. Back next week with uh, Jim Elvidge talking about digital consciousness. In the, ne- in the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. <laughs>